be here with you all this morning. Uh, excited to continue in our Resolve series. And so uh, we're kind of rounding third base into home plate here uh, on this series, really looking at the different uh, New Year's resolutions that people tend to make and trying to figure out how can we apply some biblical principle into that so that we can find uh, things that aren't just helpful for us momentarily, but really helpful for us even in an eternal perspective. And what does that look like sort of holistically? And so the first two weeks, we looked at how we can uh, implement different spiritual practices in our spiritual life and really cultivate uh, intimacy with God. You know, God has given us so many different means of grace or, or rhythms and habits that we can uh, sort of implement to help drive us into intimacy, into depth with God, uh, because that's where life is, right? Deep in God. And so as we grow in Him, then we really uh, feel ourselves flourished in that way. Last week, then, Nick kind of uh, kicked us off on finances and thinking about one of the biggest resolutions each year, financial health, and how can we think through that in a biblical way, really coming at this issue with the right heart. And so today, we're going to kind of continue and also wrap up that conversation on money. They say that the fastest way to grow a church is to talk about money multiple weeks in a row, all right? And so we need space anyway, so here we go. Money part two. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians, and we're going to camp out there all day, so you can feel free to uh, camp out there. If you need a Bible, the ushers are coming forward now. If you would just raise your hand, they would love to give you a Bible. Uh, don't feel uh, bad about raising your hand. We want you to have a Bible, okay? And so if you need one uh, and do not own one, would you please take and keep that. That's our gift to you. We want you to have the word to be able to use it during the week. You can also follow along on your smartphone. Uh, all the ways to do that are up here on this screen. Uh, we say this every week and uh, we mean this. We want your eyes on the word. We really do believe that uh, in the scriptures contain uh, the very voice of God to us. They are life to our souls. And even today as we're chopping through this text, what I'm hoping is that as you're looking through it, as the sermon's going on, the Lord would even reveal deeper things than what we're necessarily pulling out because this text is uh, deep. There's a ton in here. And so we want you to be uh, reading, not just listening uh, at the same time. Okay. And so Last week, what we did, uh, as you turn to 2 Corinthians, was we looked at the theology of money, and we covered a ton of important truths within that. Really, the things that uh, stuck out, at least to me the most, was uh, how we use money. We often use money to either gain significance, right? That's the side that I tend to fall on. Or we uh, allow money to give us security, and this is a side that a lot of us fall on as well. But ultimately, how distorting of our sight money is, right? The three S's. We use it for security, significance, and it kind of blinds our sight in such a way. Now, money isn't bad in and of itself. That's why we don't feel shame to talk about it multiple weeks in a row, and we shouldn't feel shame to talk about it at large. For money in and of itself, uh, God has given us that we may uh, enjoy Him, enjoy His creation, that we can uh, provide for our families, but also that we can even use it to be generous with others. Money isn't bad. In fact, it's a, even a wild evangelistic tool. Like the way that we use money actually speaks uh, sort of profound things about our life. It was meant to not really have power over us, but rather we steward it, literally use it uh, to really showcase the glories of God. And so money in and of itself is an okay thing. The problem is, is that when we allow money to become the ultimate thing, it begins to rule over us. And so rather than us ruling over it and stewarding it to use it, it begins to use us. It begins to 
to rule over us. And that happens with any of God's good gifts in creation, sex or relationships or power or uh, the gifts, anything. When we make them ultimate, they can begin to rule over us. And it just so happens that money is one of those things that uh, is the easiest for us to be controlled by for in the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And so we want to learn, hey, how do we actually use this in a biblical way to not allow it to rule over us, but rather we uh, end up using it the way that God has called us to, to really highlight the glories of God. It's a sweet evangelistic tool. It's a sweet blessing. In fact, uh, there was a letter found by a guy named uh, Diognetus. There's a name for your children, all right, in which he was talking uh, to the, about the early Christians. This is not a believer, okay, but he's talking about the early Christians and why they so stunned people. And he says, like others, like the rest of the world, they marry and they have children, but they do not expose them. They share their meals, but not their wives. They live in the flesh, but they are not governed by the desires of the flesh. Obedient to the laws, yet they live on a level that transcends the law. Christians love all men, but all men persecute them. They live in poverty, but enrich many. They are totally destitute, but possess an abundance of everything. And this was a witness to them, right? As the world was looking, they realized there's something different. They're generous with their money and their possessions, but they're stingy with their morality is a way to say that, right? Whereas the rest of the world back then and even today tends to be loose in their morality and stingy with their money, the Christians went and reversed that and they began to uh, really try to honor God. They weren't cheating on their wives or using others for their own advantage, but then this thing that's so sacred to us, money, they were giving it away freely to others. I mean, which kind of people would you rather live around? Somebody that's loose in their morality and might take advantage of you or somebody that's loose in their generosity and just wants to bless you, like this is an evangelistic tool, amen? This is something that we can use to really highlight the glories of God and to help others see this world is not our home. We believe that there's something more before us and so we can even give away freely knowing that God is our ultimate protector, ultimate provider, like this is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so this is what I want us to think about, okay, even today is, hey, what does it look like, we kind of ended on this last week, to be a generous people, to be loose with our money, to have our hands open and to give freely, right? What does this look like? Why should we even be generous in the first place? Like, what, what is the motivation behind this sort of generosity? Why does God call us into generosity? Like, why is this even commands in Scripture in this way? Like, why not just consume for ourselves? Or why not kind of the old adjective, hey, I worked for this, right? This is my money. I worked for this. Like, like why is that not good biblical theology? Why instead is it, hey, I work so that I can give away to others? This is what Scripture would call us to, sort of this radical generosity that I want to push us into and encourage us in this morning. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to pick it up in verse 6, and we'll read 6 through 15. We'll read the whole uh, text because we're going to be kind of bouncing around in it this morning, okay? 2 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 6. It says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. 
He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. Okay, there's so much gold in this text, I might burst before we even start, right? But uh, first of all, notice something right from the jump, okay? There's actually only one imperative or, or command. There's only one command in this whole text. Do y'all see what it is? What's the command in this text? Y'all scared? Look. <laughs> what is it? What is it? Yep, it's in verse 7. What is it? Hey, y'all, we ain't moving on to y'all gifts, so we got to come on, all right? Uh, we're taking extra time, too, okay? Hey, it says, uh, each one must decide in his heart. Must is the demand there. It's the command. You have to do this, right? You must decide in your heart. Everything else in that whole section is actually just examples of that one command and what that kind of looks like. And so what we see right away is that giving is actually a heart issue, Okay, giving is a heart issue. Money is not the point of any text on money, right? That's never the point. It's simply a tool to point to something greater, to our faith or our trust or our motivation. Money is simply a mirror. You tracking? Right? Money is a mirror into something else. Money is never the, the heart of the point. It's rather a pointer to the heart is another way to say that. And so every time we look at a text on money, we got to realize, look, there aren't like multiple commands like do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. There's only one command and everything else is sort of a, a mirror trying to highlight something about our heart. And so what we see in this text is actually really profound because wrapped up in that command, there's actually three principles that we kind of get with money and they're all stated at the top, verses 6 and 7, and then the rest of it, we see examples to those principles. And so principle number one that we see right away is that our giving should be generous. This is the heart behind our giving or our, uh, uh, our motivations is that the heart should be that of generosity. Why do we see that? Well, right away it says if we give little, then we will reap little. And we also see God is the one that is actually being generous here, right? Remember, there's only one command. We must decide in our hearts. Everything else is motivation. Here's a motivation. God's generosity and our uh, uh, actually acting out like God in our own generosity. So we see all throughout the text that God is a generous giver, right? In fact, we see that it says God makes all grace abound to you. It says, he says, it supplies seed for the sower. God gives bread for food. God supplies and multiplies your seed. God makes you enriched. And so we actually see that God is the main one being generous here. In fact, every ounce of generosity actually starts with God because you have something in the first place and then you give generously and then God returns even that much more generously. And so generosity starts with God, it ends with God. The whole thing is really us mimicking God in his own generosity towards 
towards us. As the common adjective goes, you, you cannot outgive God, right? And God is the one that's really trying to showcase his generosity here. But the promise here is that if you give generously, then God will actually return generosity towards you. Right? I once knew a man who uh, gave literally, like almost recklessly in a way, uh, and I once said, man, brother, you give so much, right? Like as soon as it comes in, you just kind of shovel it back out. Like why? And he was like, because God's shovel is a lot bigger than my shovel. And I love that. It stuck with me, right? That like, man, I'm trying to shovel it out, and then God's like, hey, here you go, right? Even that much more in. Now listen, I'm always hesitant to preach on this sort of giving, and so you're going to hear a lot of sin confession today. One, because I don't want our giving to be forced or, co- or coerced in a way, which we'll get to in a second, right? Uh, but I also uh, don't want somebody to give generously and then for God not to give generously in return to them, right? Like they give faithfully and then they don't get anything in return, which means what about me? I don't believe the text that we just read, Right? I don't believe that. It says, if you give generously, God will give generously in return. And I have this fear of like, what happens if Huli starts giving generously and then God's like, thank you. And that's the end of it. Well, that's not what the text says, right? So I have this fear because I have a hard time believing this text. And yet, every time I've seen it lived out, I've seen God provide generously. And yet, I have a hard time walking in and believing in that. Oftentimes, because I want to act like the Proverbs says, which is very, very wise. And I want to think about money from a wisdom perspective. How do we save? How do we uh, pay off debt? What does it look like to not have debt hanging over us? And we'll talk about some of that in a second. But this text is really, really clear that God wants us to be generous and he will bless us in that. So I'm not leaning into my faith, what this very text tries to push us into in a way, right? What I also know is that I actually grew up in a prosperity gospel church where I saw my pastor driving seven cars all over $100,000 each, real story, right? And so I have this uh, propensity to be fearful of this sort of language because it sounds like the prosperity gospel, okay? But this is actually the exact opposite of the prosperity gospel for the prosperity gospel says you give so that God can give you more so that you can consume it for yourself. But what this text is saying is that you give so that God can give you more so that you can then go give more once again, right? And we see this, uh, uh, this almost cycle of generosity happening where the more we give, the more God gives so that we can give more and we act more and more like God who is a generous giver. And so I hate the prosperity gospel. I disdain it with all of my heart, right? It's ruining cultures around the world around us. It's ruining my own culture here in the States. And so this isn't prosperity language we're using, but it is saying, hey, when we give generously, God will give generously to us in return. There's not much else we could do about this text, right? I'm not calling for foolishness here that you just, oh, whatever, I'm going to give all my money away, right? In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 20 through 21, the passage right before this passage, it would call us to be not only wise in our giving, but also the recipients to be wise in the way that we use it. And so it says, hey, look, there needs to be accountability to people you're giving to. If you see your pastor driving seven cars all over $100,000, you shouldn't be giving there. There should actually be responsibility behind the, the recipients of funds. That's why we do a business meeting every year here at the well so that you see exactly how we're using the money because we 
We want to be good stewards of what God is giving to us, right? But what we see really, really clearly, not for foolishness, but it is for reckless generosity. And there's a difference between foolishness and reckless generosity. And the scripture is saying, hey, as you give, God will give and respond. There is a return for you. Now, sometimes it may not be material. Sometimes it may be spiritual or whatever the case may be, but there is going to be a return. That's the promise here. And so what I get to ask him when I look at a text like this is, why isn't it the other way around, right? Like, why doesn't God give us first and then we give out of what he's already kind of given us, blessed us with abundantly? Well, because this text has nothing to do with money, right? It is actually to do with our heart. God wants us to give, and in that, he is testing our faith. And as we open up our hands to give to others, it is stretching out our faith sometimes. And once God sees that faith, it pleases God. God rejoices in that because we believe that he will be faithful to his promise. He gets to then show off, and then we get to continue that cycle over and over and over again. You tracking with that? And so this is the importance here, right? There's a faith issue here. There's a heart issue. Do we really believe this, right? That God is actually able to bless abundantly as we give abundantly. In fact, in chapters 8 and 9, which are the two chapters on giving really throughout Corinthians, the word grace is used 10 times in those two chapters. This is really cool because the grace of God is the passion of God to share all of his possessions with others. Did you catch that? Okay? The grace of God is the passion of God to share everything that he has with others. Right? Grace is getting something that even at times you do not deserve, but yet God wants to give to you in that way. And so we see all throughout this text that God is actually the gracious God. He's the generous God. He's the God that gives above and beyond what we can even handle at times and way above and beyond what we actually deserve. And yet he gives graciously anyway, because that's his character, his very nature. And in that, we then give thanksgiving to God. But then when we respond likewise and we give to others, this ends up blessing other people. And people end up glorifying God because of it. You see even there in verse 13, once again, is that people are glorifying God because of others' generosity. And so let me ask an honest question right here. Uh, Is anyone anywhere thanking God because of your generosity? Is your generosity causing worship in other people's hearts? Not a guilt trip, okay? Guilt is a miserable motivation. It's not what I'm asking at all. But it is a reflection of where our heart is. What do we believe about our money? Is it to be used and consumed only for ourselves? Or are we like God where we own and then we right away give away to others? We are gracious toward others that they may be built up. Are we actually applying the gospel in our Christian life with our finances? That's what God would have us lean into, right? And in that, if we answer no to that, man, I don't know if anybody's thanking God because of my generosity, then what's probably happening is our fists are just a little bit too tight with our money. And what God wants to do is he wants to slowly but surely open up those hands and pour that out because we're saying, I believe in the blessing of God and I want others to experience the goodness of God. So I will give to that end. And as we pour out, our hands are open, ready to receive from God. 
And so maybe it's only a little bit at first, and then he pours that in, and then maybe we get tempted to kind of want to be selfish with it for a second, but he said, no, 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 open it up, right? Be like me. And as we give and we receive and we give and receive, what ends up happening, the scriptures say, is that he almost starts giving too much, where it's literally overflowing to the blessing of other people, as verse 13 says here. And so this is what God is calling for. I mean, look at what the text says once again. It says that God wants all grace to abound, So you have all sufficiency in all things at all times that you may abound in every good work. What's the good work? The good work is our generosity, right? And to be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way. God wants to give that we may give all in every. These are massive statements. God wants you to be generous for he is generous and he wants you to act like him. This is what the text is highlighting. Our giving is actually a reflection on if we're being transformed into the likeness of God, which is a generous, benevolent, gracious God. Amen? This is what our giving is reflecting. So how's your heart? How's your heart? When you hear this, which is what I did this week as I was even prepping this, are you like, oh, gosh, right? I mean, real talk. Once again, I'm going to confess some sin, okay? But literally, man, this is hard. But how's our heart? Do we really believe in the God of the Bible? Second point, our giving should be willing, okay? It says not uh, decided in our own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, all right? Now straight up, all right, shoot. Part of me is like, y'all can give to us reluctantly, I don't care. (laughs) We'll put that go off to work, right? Okay, but that's not what it's saying here at all, okay? The principle is that God actually doesn't even need it. And so he doesn't care, right, whether or not you give it. He wants your heart in the process. He doesn't even want you to give it if you're not willing, is what the text is highlighting here. Why? Because this isn't for him. He owns it all already anyway. Nor is it for his church, for God will provide for his bride. This is for you and for your heart. God wants to transform you in these beautiful ways, right? I better get at least three witnesses up in this joint this morning. Right? This is true, right? Man, God wants to move. He uh, isn't in need. This is for your own heart. He's not commanding this to produce for himself. He's commanding this to produce for you, friends. This is what he wants to transform you in this way. For when you give, God begins to work on your heart. And you begin to be more like him. You are transformed more into the image of God. It produces and increases faith. It increases cheerfulness. And in this, you experience the blessing of God, which draws you deeper into God, which once again is where life is found, deep in God. And so this is what it's calling for. And so we give willingly, not grudgingly, right? That word in the Greek, reluctantly, actually translates uh, with grief, right? Like, oh, <laughs> right? God says, I don't want that kind of money, right? Because he's not in need, okay? The God's not after your money. This sort of giving actually just shows us that you don't recognize how rich you already are in Christ, And so you think you need to hold on to that or else you will not experience true joy or true life. And the Bible says, I have life in myself is what God wants to say. And so as we give, we experience God in that way. You don't uh, uh, trust God when you hold on, right? You haven't been or at least aren't currently focusing on the reality of the gospel that all riches are yours in Christ Jesus. And so we should give willingly, readily, right? Not reluctantly, not holding on. When we withhold, we're not robbing God. We're robbing ourselves, friends. And so what do we want to do, right? This is what the text is wrestling with us here. And what we do is we're missing becoming like God when we give like God. 
We're missing out on acting just the way that he acts. He lets us act in the, in the redemptive uh, plan of the world. And part of the way we do that is with our money. I remember so, 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 so clearly when I was in college feeling like this, okay? I went to college, was a freshman in college. I got hurt right away, so I didn't play football. And then I needed a job because... Well, I ain't going to go into that. So I needed a job, all right? Uh, and uh, I was trying to find a job. And I remember not being able to find one for a couple of weeks. And I was at church for a couple of weeks in a row. And literally, the giving would go by. And I would feel this, like, burden. I was like, I want to give to the restoration. I want to give to the local church that is feeding me. I, I want to give. And I felt this in my heart, like, I deeply want to give. And so one day I felt compelled to fast and to pray for a job so that I can give. And I fasted and I prayed. And the next day I got the highest paying job on campus, okay? And I immediately got put into a manager position over an industry I'd never been in before. And, like, all of a sudden I had all this money to actually give, right? Now, college Tory was far less sanctified than pastor Tory, okay? College Tory, if I heard you talking something, might fire off a couple at you, all right? And so what happened here, because now, sincerely, my heart is not like, God, please just give me a little bit more money so that I can give more. That's not what's happening in my heart right now. The whole time I'm prepping this, I'm like, gosh, Lord, please don't call me to give a bunch of money this week so I can use it as an example, all right? And literally, what is the difference here? Well, it's not a sanctification issue, right? It's not like all of a sudden I become less like God. Trust me, I look a lot more like God than this Tory. You don't want this Tory preaching to you, all right? You probably don't want this Tory preaching to you either, but we're working, all right? We're works in progress, okay? But I'm far closer to God today. And so what happened? Where's that fire to give, right? Well, it's because I've forgotten this very reality, the privilege of giving into the kingdom of God. I have not decided in my heart. Do you see that command there? I am reluctant because I have not thought about the reality that I get to partake in the redemption of the world with God. And sometimes it comes just as simple with giving up my resources, friends. I've forgotten that reality. I don't, I don't reflect on it enough here. And this is why money giving is a heart issue. God's saying, hey, think about this, right? Decide in your heart. Begin to reflect on the reality of what I'm calling you into is what God. God says, and this is what we need to walk into, right? What I often do is I just give without even thinking about it, and so it's almost compulsively, or when he calls me to do it sacrificially, I'm like, oh my gosh, with grief, rather than realizing, right, that God is actually allowing me to walk in the redemption of his whole entire world, that I get to partake in this, that in my giving, I get to experience God in deeper ways. I get to see him provide for me in profound ways, friends. I, I forgot, I've forgotten. And so this text is calling us to remember, right? So you may be reluctant to give. Listen, that may not be a, uh, an indictment against your spirituality, but it is an indictment against your heart. Your heart's forgetting the gospel, your heart's forgetting that the richest man ever, Jesus Christ, came and was poor so that we who are poor may be rich in him. And we're not thinking about the realities of that, hence the reluctance, right? We're beginning to want to hold on in this way. And so uh, think about even really easy examples, right? Like for those of you who were here last week, you saw the video from the kids at Campbell Elementary, right? And so they, boom, pop on the video and they're like, thank you, the well church, right? And then you hear from Principal Moore, right? Stay dragging strong, right? 
and we loved it, right? I, the video got done. I turned around and some of y'all had tears in your eyes, right? Getting to see the blessing of the kids, okay? What's happening? Well, when we give, even though it was maybe just a little bit and we see the results of that, we're realizing that we're actually partaking in the restoration of the redemption of the world. We're acting like Christ and it moves our hearts. And so some of y'all might've given $25 to bless a kid with a Christmas box and it wasn't like three days later, God was like, here's $250, right? That's not what happened. But when we see that video, is that not worth more than $25? As we realize, man, we're doing something. We're, we're, we're being a part of God's redemptive plan in the world. Even if it's tiny and small like that, man, that may be the very thing the kids needed to begin to think about the beauty of Christ. And we realize we're taking part in the redemption of the world. God says, decide in your heart, right? Think about it in your heart. Reflect on this. We uh, then get to produce thanksgiving on others' behalf, is what the text ends with there. When we give, there's thankfulness that produces in others. And so we don't want to be reluctant, but willing. What would this look like, right? Like, think about this, all these stats this week. I'll just read a couple of them. The average Christian actually only gives 2.5% of their income. If every Christian just in America, okay, tithe, which we're not necessarily preaching tithe, that's kind of an Old Testament principle. The New Testament says, hey, give everything you have to God, okay? So there's wisdom, there's freedom in that. You're all like, shoot, I ain't trying to do that, all right? All right, well, this is what the New Testament will highlight. Hey, Christ didn't only give 10% of his blood, he gave all of his blood, as Nick said last week, right? And so now we respond in that way as well. But if the average person actually gave, uh, then we'd have an additional $165 billion in funding. Currently, to fund every active overseas missionary, it would cost about $1 billion. So we have $164 billion left. And then what do we do with that, Right? Well, you could actually end world hunger, you can eliminate illiteracy, you can end preventable disease, you can handle all the water and sanitation issues, you can fund everything needed for adoption, foster care, orphan care, things like that, and still have about 40 billion left. Then you can take some of that, buy a building for us in East Austin, and we'd be rolling in it, right? <laughs> Listen, okay, this is not to guilt trip, that's not what those numbers are, all right? But it's saying we're not giving willingly because we're not focusing on the heart. The world is not what it could be because we are not what we could be. We are not realizing the realities of what God has allowed us to walk in, okay? Third principle, last principle, it says that our giving should be done cheerfully. It says that God loves a cheerful giver. Listen to me, friends. Christian ethics are never just do it. Okay? It's never just do it because the Bible says so. This whole thing, all of the text that we're reading is all motivation as to why we should do it because God wants to increase our joy and increase our likeness in him. So it's not just do it because I say so right? It's wanting to produce cheer in us, y'all. God's wanting to transform us to make us come alive in him. Nowhere in the New Testament is there just blind obedience. So remember, giving is a faith thing. It's a heart thing. God wants us to have joy in our giving. If we want a way that we can please God, look, giving is one of the ways we do it. God loves a cheerful giver, right? God doesn't just love a giver. He wants our heart to be interacting in that, right? Each one must decide in his heart. This is a faith thing, a heart thing, not just blind obedience. 
In the middle of this passage, it quotes uh, a psalm, Psalm 112. And uh, when we read it in this context, it sounds like that psalm is talking about God, but it's actually not. If you go back to the psalms, uh, it's actually a man that's giving, okay? And this is a physical example. That man is a physical example of giving generously, willingly, and cheerfully. This man gave freely with joyfulness, with readiness, and what it says is his righteousness endures forever. In other words, his giving had forever consequences, So why should giving produce cheer? Because when we think about what we're actually doing, we're realizing that our giving has forever consequences, y'all. Righteousness will literally bubble up. It will endure forever as it even says it is even in the uh, Corinthian life there toward the end of that passage. So God gives cheerfully, even all throughout this text, right? All grace abounds, seed for the sower. We already went through that. And so then we give cheerfully, making us more like God, which is his desire for us to be like him, to participate as he is participating. This is actually why it's important to be even wise with our money because Proverbs says that when we're not wise with our money, we can't even give cheerfully. Why? Because then we have like debt hanging over us and it produces all this other emotion. Interestingly, out of all the Christians who do tithe, 80% of them are not in any debt minus mortgage debt, okay? 80% of Christians that tithe aren't in debt. This is why living above our means is actually really unwise and really unbiblical because it stifles us from being able to be generous and to experience the joy of giving. When we have debt over our heads, we, we don't uh, uh, give in cheer, we give in fear, right? I didn't even mean to rhyme that, but when you used to spit that hot fire, sometimes it just comes out, right? Okay? And so listen, this is why we're doing the Money Wise class, okay? Because we want you to be able to be wise with your money, right? We're not just saying, hey, give everything you have away, right? Listen, God will actually bless that, okay? But what we're saying is, hey, do it in wisdom too, right? Get out of debt. Act with wisdom. Have something to share with your children. Enjoy God's creation. Use some of it to uh, uh, enjoy this earth, but also to bless others, okay? This is why we want to do that. So sign up for that if you're interested. There's so much more I want to cover, okay? But I hope you get the idea of this text here, the idea of this text. There's so many other texts in Scripture that talk about giving. All of them are heart motivation things. In fact, we're going over one, a different one this week in CGs if you're in them, all right? But when we give, y'all, we're acting like God, who is the true giver in the first place, and this brings us joy. But we have to decide in our hearts We have to remember the gospel. We have to remember what our giving is actually doing. Don't just give compulsively, right? Because you are afraid that, you know, maybe if I give, then maybe somebody will realize this. Or or don't give out of fear. Don't give reluctantly, but joyfully as you think about what you're doing and the uh, acting like God. And see how this text even ends? It even ends with the gospel focus. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. We see the largest expression of giving in our God, friends. For God so loved the world that he, what? Gave. Our God is a giver in and of himself. God did not give us his son reluctantly, right? Like, oh my gosh, I got to save mankind. That's not what he was doing, y'all. For God so loved the world. That so there is really important. God didn't just love and say, oh, I got to do this. He so loved you, friends, that he gives freely. Christ, who was rich, became poor so that we who are poor may be rich. It was the joy that was set before him that led him through the cross. Man, God loves to give. He is a benevolent God. It says, fear not, my flock, for I will give you the kingdom. God has always wanted to give. God wants to give all things over to us. Our God is a cheerful, a willing giver, a 
generous giver. And this is what we got to remember. When we think about the gospel, y'all, it'll motivate us to give generously, for then we are acting like our God. And when you act like God, this is where you come most alive. See, when we withhold, we're actually acting like the enemy. The enemy wants to steal, right, to kill, to destroy, to not give away. But our God, he comes that he may what? Give life. God wants to give And that's why when we give, we're acting like God. Man, this should be all of our heart motivation. As we think about the gospel, we want to walk in that because our God gives. Jesus is the clearest example of that as he poured out his precious blood for us, y'all. Y'all, Jesus gave everything, the text says. Jesus gave it all, all of it for us. Every single drop of blood was spilled so that the whole world may have the ability to walk into relationship with our God, y'all. This is the inexpressible gift that we rejoice in even there at the end. If you want to learn more about giving, there's a really, really great book. It's by a guy named Randy Alcorn. It's called The Treasure Principle. It essentially takes some of this text and it uh, extrapolates it, but it's a 160-page book and it's like yay big, all right? So like it ain't that hard to read is what I'm saying. So if you don't like reading, I don't like reading. I grew up in Detroit public school system, all right? And I still chop through that book, okay? So if you want to learn more, do that. Sign up for the Money Wise class. I have a feeling that it'll actually be full even today because it's in a classroom. We just don't have a ton of space. And so if it's full by the time you go to sign up, learn who's in it and ask them to disciple you in giving, okay? Like seriously, ask them to take you to breakfast and to just reteach the same things that you're going through, okay? And we'll give you a book if you want, but we want you to be wise. We want you to walk in this. But ultimately, friends, God wants your heart. God wants your heart. This is what he's calling us into. And so I'll end with the same thing that Nick actually ended with last week. We would be tempted to think that this was a sermon about money and about generosity. It's not, okay? It's a sermon about your heart. It's a sermon about your motivations. Money is nothing more than a tool. It's a mirror to reflect our hearts. We're not collecting a second offering today. You're never going to see me or Nick driving in a $150,000 car, all right, unless we're preaching for 50 years and then inflation goes up and then the average car is $100,000, all right? (laughs) Besides that, we ain't rolling in that, right? Because, y'all, we don't care about that, y'all. I don't care about this whatsoever. This world is not our home. We're living for a different world, y'all. But we want you to live for a different world too, friends, to walk into that. And so this is not about money. This is not even about necessarily giving to the church, though we genuinely believe in the local church. And if you want to give to a building, you could do that, all right? But that's all this is about, right? This is about our hearts, y'all, about our hearts. God wants your heart, friends. And so I pray that we will be a generous church a church that gives freely, a church that doesn't cling like this and believe that God is not the benevolent God that is able to give us all things, but that whether we give and we give and we give and we see the blessing of God pouring in for your shovel is not as big as his shovel. God wants to show you himself. And when you give, you're acting like God. And that's what we're supposed to do is come to the fullness of Christ, right? Acting like him fully, This is what he's calling us to. And so would that be true for us? Would we be a people that are able to give like that? Would we so love the world that we give? Would we so love this church that we give? We believe in the mission of God and the multiplication of disciples and the pushing back darkness. So we give into this body. Would we so love our neighbor? Would we so love our family that we give? Would we act like God and give? I pray that would be true of our church. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, please give us wisdom in giving.
God, I pray that you would help us to have the grace to give, God. Make us cheerful givers. Make us uh, want to participate in redemption, want to participate in the expanding of the kingdom. Make us generous, God. Let us not get caught up with how much we give for some have a lot and some are only able to give a little. And, and hey, let us not get caught up with that. The widow gave two cents and she gave more than everyone. Let us remember that you're after our hearts in this, God. Let us decide in our hearts that you are more valuable than everything this world has to offer. Father, would that be true? Lord, I pray for those who do not know you. I pray you would please show them that you are more valuable. You are worth more than all the money this world has to offer. That you gave up all riches that they may enter into that relationship with you. If they but say, I want to know you, God. I, I need you, God. I, I want to give my life to you. Then they can enter into an eternal covenant, into a relationship with you, for you already gave your blood that you may reconcile them to yourself. So I pray for everyone who does not know you that they would choose you today. And God, for those of us who do know you, who have entered into the relationship with a generous, benevolent God, I pray that we would be a generous, benevolent people not trusting ourselves, but you, Father, that we would give generously here in this church, out overseas, into church plants, into people's lives, that they may see the beauty of who you are. Would we be a witness, just like we read the early church was, that even if we're poor, we give. <laughs> Thank you for allowing us to store up different treasures, God. I pray we would be a generous church and that we would believe this text pray that I would believe this text, that we would be willing, cheerful, generous. We pray this in your benevolent name, God. Amen.